We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Thank you. Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass podcast. This for UFC 244, Masvidal versus Diaz. Before we get into any of the action, winner from last week, we have Tystar243. Congratulations to Tystar243. If you want to get into a draw for 20 DK dollars, Cody Safdie, why don't you explain it? 20 DK dollars. Well, the BMF title is on the line, so why don't you, in the comment section, let us know Who's the biggest BMF? I put this poll up on Twitter yesterday, and basically the options, it only lets you put four options, but I put Hoist Gracie. Guy would show up. He knows nothing about his opponents. There's no internet, basically. There's no there's no fight finder. He's told that guys like Pat Smith are 300 and 0. He doesn't know what he's getting himself into. Gives up 40, 80, 90 pounds sometimes. Remco Pardol, 90 pound difference. Finishes all these guys. That's a bad motherfucker right there. Randy Couture. Fought two-way two weight class world champion, fought deep into his career, 47 years old. He retired just shy of his 48th birthday, fighting guys like Leoto Machida. <clears throat> That's a bad motherfucker. Sure. Dan Henderson, beating Fedor, bad motherfucker. Lee Murray. Robbed a bank. I mean that beat Tito, beat Tito Ortiz in an alleyway. From got my stabbed in the lung at a birthday party and almost died, and then robbed a bank. I mean, is this guy not the biggest of the bad motherfuckers? So in the comment section, you let me know who's your bad motherfucker. You're saying Lee Murray, it looks like. I mean, I don't even understand the concept of this whole bad motherfucker thing. <laughs> it just seems like a way to give entertaining fan favorite fighters a platform to fight against each other. And I'm all for that. Like, I, I what would constitute who is in the bad motherfucker conversation? 
There's tons of guys. On this card alone, you could make the argument that Kelvin Gastelum, the little welterweight that moved up to 85, that's a bad motherfucker. Uh, Derek Lewis. Derek Lewis. Remember when the guy pulled a shotgun on him and he punched the guy out, did time in prison? Remember Comes when he out told of prison, the world that his balls a, was hot? <laughs> fights with that's one knee, fights with one knee and a set of hot balls, and still gets up to world title contention, providing for his family. That's a bad motherfucker. Blagoy Ivanov gets stabbed, right? Has to have open heart surgery to save his life. The, his That's fight a, style would not doesn't allow him to be a bad motherfucker. There so has to be a line. Look, there has to be a line to this. Yeah, right, right, right. So you're saying what constitutes a bad? But motherfucker. also, Dana's like kind of said that, like, oh, this may just be a one time thing. Do you know the difference? I, I would like them to keep the belt around if it meant like, yeah, it's just like it becomes fantasy matchups that the fans want to see. It's like guys like Tony Ferguson and Justin Gaethje, like they would be fighting all bad. You know, Kaposa, legend on Twitter. I'm sure everybody watching. A lot, most people Grabaka watching this Hitman. are Grabaka Hitman on Twitter. He's, he's the man. And he's been talking about the violence weight championship of the world. And that's kind of what I think this bad motherfucking championship means. So, like, let's go with that then. If you're, like, there should be somebody lined up next. Like, Justin Gaethje should be, like, gritting his teeth cage side to take on the winner. Yeah, this. fair. But you can't just say the 155-pound division is the bad motherfucker division because it's like, what about all the other divisions? And a guy like Donald Cerrone, who's been a bad motherfucker his whole life but is now long in the tooth... That doesn't constitute all of a sudden not being a bad motherfucker anymore. So it's an open wide concept. I'll tell you the difference between the guys I mentioned before and the guys that are fighting for the for the actual title is that you got to live the bad motherfucker lifestyle outside of the cage and inside of the cage. Blagoy lives it outside of the cage, doesn't live it inside of the cage. Lewis, he's had fun moments, but when you look like you're going to shit your pants and you're crumpled over against the cage, you're not living the bad motherfucker lifestyle, right? These guys, they live it inside and outside of the cage. Diaz more so. I mean, he's whole life. He's a bad motherfucker. But it's open for interpretation. Leave I it mean, in the I would actually section. disagree with you on that statement. I would say Masvidal, who we have like recorded video of him being in like street fights with Kimbo and his boys. Like that's some serious bad motherfucker territory. There's videos of Nate Diaz fighting a dude in a high school gym. And but, as but in it wasn't Kimbo. Kimbo was an internet legend. He didn't fight Kimbo. He fought time. Kimbo's boy Ray. No, I know, but twice. he's just there with Kimbo. Like, that's pretty legendary. Bad motherfucking shit. There's no doubt about it that both right. of these I'm guys turning, are in the I'm, talk. I'm, I don't hate, I, I think the belt is stupid. If it leads to more exciting uh, fights, like the main event that we have here, then I'm all for it. Because we have Nate, uh, Jorge Masvidal taking on Nate Diaz. Jorge Masvidal's 8,800 minus 175 favorite. Nate Diaz is 7,400 plus 155. Actually, before we actually get to that, what we're going to do this week, we're going to go back to old times where we just break down the fight, say how we're gonna, we see it playing out. And then at the end of the show, we're going to like specifically look at it from a DraftKings perspective. So we're just going to kind of make our picks essentially and maybe end, talk yeah. about the betting here. And then at the end, we're going to talk about like DraftKings strategy, which fights we think are going to be highly owned, which spots we would, we would like on DraftKings. So yeah, Jorge Masvidal, Nate Diaz, Cody Saftik, take it away. Yeah. Well, okay. So we got two bad motherfuckers in a very interesting fight, but uh, I, I'm going to personally go with Jorge Masvidal on this one. I think honestly, at the end of the day, speed kills. It always been the big deciding factor for me is if you've got a decisive speed advantage, you can carry it. You're going to hit guys. 
Nate Diaz is slow. He's plotting. He's there to be hit. What he does better than almost anybody is he pressures. He comes through the fire. He's always coming at you. He can tire you out. Three-round fight, I'm way more confident in Masvidal. Five-round fight, I feel like Diaz could maybe possibly break him down late. But Masvidal is not the kind of guy to break late. He is the kind of guy to take rounds off. And that could be a problem, is that Masvidal... He's 34 years old, and just now, an entire body of work, 50 pro fights, as you mentioned, fighting in Kimbo Slice's backyard against Ray. He's, he's been a combat sports badass his entire life, and yet only now is he getting the recognition that he probably deserves for his lifetime achievements at 34. So the little nugget of the BMF title is cool for a guy like that because he's worked up to this point. He was unsuccessful in his bid for the Strikeforce title against Gilbert Melendez way back in the day. It's kind of cool to see. But he's going to have that speed advantage over Nate Diaz, and I feel like he's going to beat him to the punch. He's going to be able to go five rounds as long as he doesn't give Diaz too much respect, as long as he doesn't come into this fight. Because on all the interviews, he's not looking at this like, that's that hungry challenger I need to put away. This is the next guy in line for me to get that next big payday. Even though this is a huge fight, he respects Nate Diaz. He respects the fuck out of Nate Diaz. And we've seen sometimes... George Masvidal takes rounds off and he gets a little bit gun shy. That's the only way I see Nate Diaz breaking him down late, tiring him out, is if, if, if he just kind of takes his foot off the gas. But going back to Nate Diaz versus Anthony Pettis, right? This is a fight where a lot of people suggest how good Nate Diaz looks. And I agree. He goes out there. He smokes Nate. Uh, he smokes Anthony Pettis. In the first round, the first three minutes, it's all Anthony Pettis ball. Anthony Pettis beats him to the punch. He beats him in the striking exchanges. Two minutes left. Nate Diaz takes him to the ground, dominates him. Second round. First three minutes, Anthony Pettis is winning all the striking exchanges. Nate Diaz taking shots. He, I don't know if he even got poked in the eye, but he's complaining about his eye. Gets the fight to the ground. Third round, Pettis folds as Pettis is known to do. He takes over. What about when Masvidal stuffs those takedowns? He's got the wrestling advantage over Diaz. When he stuffs those takedowns and he keeps the fight standing. I think the type of fight that it is is going to make it so, like, he's not going to go out there and wrestle. In when he's fighting for the bad mother or the BMF title, come on. I didn't say he was going to wrestle. I just say he's going to be faster. Okay. He's going to be faster standing. He's going to beat him with the punch. Let listen. He could out wrestle him, and he could beat him with this leg kick game. I just don't think he's going to go to it consistently enough because we've got this BMF title. But likewise, Nate Diaz's fight with Anthony Pettis. If he went in there with this bravado of "I'm not going to take it to the ground" because there's some BMF title under it, he would have lost the fight to Anthony Pettis. What won him the fight? against Showtime, was his ability to out-wrestle him and take him to the ground. So again, if George Masvidal is not allowed to use his wrestling or his leg kicks because that's not a BMF move, then Nate Diaz is not allowed to use his wrestling and his... like that, That's such a stupid concept to think about it like that way. you got to fight with the tools that you're given. Masvidal has never wrestle-fucked anybody, but he uses his wrestling in almost all of his fights. You've got to add that element. At least you throw it in there. Even the Till fight, you fake the takedown, you got a takedown. Till got right back up, and then he surprises them with the left hook. It's all part of the game. So I don't think any of his tools are going to be off the table per se, but I think his tools are better than Nate Diaz. He's faster. His striking is a little bit crisper. Thinking he's going to finish? Ah, Nate Diaz is hard to put here's away, the thing. Man. Here's the he's thing, He's not going to submit him. And here's, the only one man that man. Let, let me say let me say I don't think here. he finishes him, no. All right. His last decision win, 2016, against uh, Ross Pearson. All of his other wins are by finish. All of his other losses are by decision. Stephen Thompson, Damian Maya. It's like when these when these fights are when he goes to decision, he loses. We you know you go back to 
the uh, the Iaquinta fight years ago, Lorenz Larkin, Benson Henderson. Five rounds. If you don't think he's going to finish Diaz, I think it's going to be when we're going to go to the scorecards. It's going to be super close. I'm expecting a really, really exciting fight, but plus 155 is staring me in the face. Now, with Nate, you always got to look at the weigh ins. Number one step is just if Nate has abs, you can bet Nate. If Nate does not have abs, then I would probably stay away. This guy just got flagged for a you know, a vegan vitamin or something like that. I don't know. He's still it, taking it. Apparently. Which has, which has like anabolic steroids in it. So it's like, Sarm. I'm, I'm expecting him to show up with abs. I don't know, man. Plus I see, I see, I see the merits for both sides, I guess. I just think the, the value play is Diaz here. Yeah. I honestly think a commission like New York is going to score damage. And at the end of the day, Diaz, extremely hittable, is going to get hit by George. When he does get hit by George, he is going to bleed. As he's bleeding in these rounds, that may not be close. It's going to be a problem. The other thing is George Masvidal at his best counterpuncher. He's a great counterpuncher. That's what led to the knockout over Till is that Till's aggressive and marches forward. Nate Diaz only knows one gear. He can't counterpunch for fuck. Because he's not fast enough. He can't sit there and rely on a counter hook because he's not fast enough. So he's, he's going to march be forward. Barging forward in which your will face play landing. into Mosvidal's plan. And if Mosvidal wants to take him down, the takedown's there. And if he wants to take him down late in rounds to just make sure he secures the round, it, it's all there for him. So I think he gets that. The last thing I'm I want to touch on. I'm not getting to minus 175. I, I get it. I get it. I'm just not getting it, there. I just think it's too close. The price is getting better, especially after it's so funny. Diaz gets uh, flagged. The fight's said to continue. Money's coming on Diaz. Like, shit, you're giving us a free pass? Why not? But I, I'm going to go with Masvidal. The last thing I want to say, though, is to the decision point that you made, right? All of those decisions that he lost, the ones that he lost against Damian Maya, split decision, razor close fight, mm-hmm. uh, the fight with Lorenz Larkin. A lot of people thought he won that fight. The fight with Ally Quinto. Are you kidding me? He almost mm-hmm. killed him in the first round. A lot of people won that fight. The fight with uh, with with Benson Henderson in Korea. Holy fuck. Five crazy rounds. Yeah, but what do all a lot of ha- people thought he won that fight. What do all these have, have in common? When a fight is close... George, or George just doesn't do enough. Well, that's what I said at the top of the segment. Yeah. I was just like, sometimes he, if he respects his opponent, so wh- he why would you lay minus 175? If, so I guess you just don't think this is going to be competitive at all. No, I, it, competitive. I think it goes five. Masvidal wins three of the five and therefore secures himself a decision. And mm. he might win four of the five, but he's shown that his gas tank's able to go there. The, the, the thing with Showtime versus Diaz is Showtime is a small 55er who tried out 145 and then jumped up to 170 for the first time and was way too small. Therefore, he got taken down pretty easily and couldn't do anything off of his back. He threatened a couple times, but for the most part, he was dealing with a much larger man. Jorge Masvidal is now in his 11th fight at welterweight. He's filled out. He's a much larger man. He'll have more success in those grappling exchanges. Who holds down Masvidal? Nobody. By the way, remember when I said he lost a split decision to Damian Maya? Maya took him down. Maya had him in compromising positions, but he didn't get submitted. So why is Nate Diaz going to all of a sudden just be so good on the ground that he decimates him on the ground? I think this guy's skilled everywhere. I think he's able to get the job done, and that'll be the play. But uh, when we get to the topic at the end of the show is he the great is he the greatest dk play if he's not going to get the finish and he does take rounds off then maybe he's not the greatest dk play but we're just talking about the lines for right now so the official play would be jorge Masvidal. are you going diaz or are you thinking it's a pass i gotta see the weigh-ins first but okay. i gotta see if fair, i gotta fair, see if nate's got fair. abs he just tested positive so i'm sure he does but gotta okay. Have abs. Okay. that that is the real key here nate diaz has got to have abs. But yeah, that's what that's the side that I'm drawn to right now. Anyway, moving on down, we've got uh, 
Darren Till moving up to 185 pounds, taking on Kelvin Gastelum. Gastelum's the favorite, minus 190. Till plus 165. Will the move up in weight class, uh, will will this work for Till? Till has always been like super massive for welterweight, oh, right? He, so, well, he didn't even really make welterweight on a lot of occasions. Well, exactly. So it's huge. They say he now he's walking I mean, around like, in like 210, 215. He, he could very well have – I think he's going to have the size advantage against Kelvin Gastelum still after moving up. Because Kelvin was a guy that was at 170 and yeah. you're like, I think you should be able to make this weight class, right? How many other five foot nine middleweights are there? Like there's not a whole lot. Yeah. Daron um, Wynn, how'd that work out for him? You know what I'm saying. It's just it's not something you see. It's not super common. I just worry about – we've seen it so many times recently – um, you know, Luke Rockhold comes to mind. Uh, James Vick comes to mind. Now, I don't think that Darren Till's chin is as questionable as those. Like, he ate a hellacious shot from Masvidal. Um, he's, you know, his his chin is questionable, maybe not to that level. Going up to 185, like, that should probably help him to a degree. But we've been seeing these guys with durability issues just get absolutely crushed. And Kelvin's got a slick one too, right down the pipe. I'm not going to be shocked to see Kelvin DeGastelum um, to finish him here, but yeah, the pick right now is uh, Kelvin Gastelum. But obviously, it's early in the week. Like sometimes, just watching interviews and getting a sense for like you know somebody's state of mind coming into a fight can change your perspective. But right now, pick is Kelvin Gastelum, which yours. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I got to assume that moving up to 185 pounds is going to help Darren Till because it seemed like he probably did have really bad weight cuts. And he's getting caught by some of the best guys in the world. I mean, Jorge Masvidal's proven to be what kind of finisher he is. He's fighting for the BMF title. So getting caught from him is not the end of the world. And Tyron Woodley, like if he connects with you, I mean, he's got all the power in the world. So getting hit by him is not the worst thing in the world. What kind of gets me is that Dana White goes on record and he's 100% right. He's not right about a whole lot. He's 100% right about this. He says, maybe we gave Darren Till too much too soon. We, 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 we fed him there too early. Dude, you're 100% right. You should have never fought Tyron Woodley for the world title in the first place. And to lose against Woodley in a fight that went two rounds, Paul, and he scored zero significant strikes. Yeah. His fight prior to that against Stephen Thompson, one of the worst fights you've seen. In fact, a lot of people thought he lost that fight. So to give him world title fight, it, it was just too much, and he loses. And then to give him Masvidal, who doesn't have the biggest name, but has got all the skills in the world, he's a 55 veteran, it was, it was too much too soon. Now you're going to move him up to 185, and you're going to give him the number four ranked middleweight, Kelvin Gastelum, yeah, who just is, gave the current this world very, very. Like I'm not Why saying, would you do that Yeah, I'm him? not saying he's going to be a bust at 185, but it's just like you threw him right into the fire no immediately. Favors. No favors. No. Unbelievable. I guess they probably re-signed him to a big contract, and they're like, for the amount of, you know, for that London card, there was a lot of hype around the kid. And they probably signed him to a good contract. And when you get that type of money, you know, fighting schlubs early on the prelims just doesn't cut it, I yeah, guess. Yeah, but why not? Why not? Why not? You got to get the most out of what you're making. What the person's getting paid that much then they're fighting that level of opponent. I guess, I guess that's where the mindset is. I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking I want to see him against Amari Akhmedov. I'm thinking I want yeah. to see him against yeah, right. Ryan, or, uh, Marvin Vittori. I had, want to see him against He had a rough some, fall from grace. Why so doesn't like, he fight Brad Tavares? Yeah. Like, there's guys that he could be fighting at 185 that aren't Kelvin Gastelum, and that therein lies the problem. 
But I'm, I'm kind of convinced that maybe he's got a shot. And the price is not right on Kelvin Gastelum. I, I feel like Kelvin Gastelum is being overvalued because of some string of success. Does he got the power to not go tilt? Dude, absolutely. Despite the fact that he is a natural welterweight, moved up to 185, his left hand, oh man, crushing, devastating. If he lands on him flush, no doubt he could knock him out. I, I just don't know that he will. I mean, Till's got a huge size advantage over him. I know Adesanya did. And he was able to close up that distance on some occasions. And Till's not as big as Adesanya, at least not height-wise. But he's still, he's going to have trouble running up the pipe. And if you've seen any footage on Till lately, I mean, he's just working on his knee up the gut, knee up the gut. I'm sure Rafael Cordero is going to have Kelvin Gastelum ready. But Kelvin Gastelum was a guy that had never been knocked down in his entire UFC career. I think his ratio is something like he's knocked down seven opponents and he's never been knocked down. And then Israel Adesanya knocked him down four times. He put a devastating beating on him. He finished a man as close to finishing a man as you can get with still saying decision win on your record. Mm -hmm. He fucked him up. So we don't really know Kelvin Gastelum coming back in this fight. Is he still that press forward all the time, pedal on the metal Kelvin Gastelum? We're not 100% sure. We're led to believe that he is, but we're not 100% sure. But here's something that's kind of a little bit worrisome. So we go back to UFC 200 with Kelvin Gastelum, his last fight at welterweight. He fights Johnny Hendricks. He beats Johnny Hendricks. Johnny Hendricks would then go one and three and retire. Most recently lost to a, a former gay porn star in a bare knuckle boxing match. Dakota, Dakota Cochran? Dakota Cochran, right. So Johnny Hendricks, one and three after he lost to it and then retired. Okay. Then he fought Tim Kennedy. Tim Kennedy was 37 years old. Tim Kennedy retired immediately after that Kelvin Gastelum fight. Then he fought Vitor Belfort. Vitor Belfort was 38 years old. He went one and two in his fights after that. And I don't think he's retired, but he hasn't fought in a few years. Chris Weidman. Weidman went one and one. He was 32. He was one of the younger guys. Weidman actually beat him, but went one and one afterwards and is now contemplating retirement because he just doesn't got it anymore. Bisbing had one eye. He was 38 years old. He retired immediately afterwards. Jacare was 38 has gone one and one since. And then Izzy, who is a young up-and-comer, is the one that puts a thrashing on him. So I, I know I'm getting long there, but, but what I'm getting at is he's had the best run of aging veterans with a name on their way out. Guys that after he beat them were on their way out. So we value, oh, dude, he can fight middleweights. He can fight middleweights. Yeah, he can fight fucking Nate Marquardt. Mm -hmm. He can fight Vitor Belfort. He can fight Michael Bisping. But the guys like Israel Adesanya, they're, they're going to put a beating on him. And I feel like Till could. Sure, that's a champ. Yeah, Till could, in theory, this could help fucking him. put one of on him. Of course, it's really, it's really hard. Yeah. I'm gonna hit a straight pass, and this is the last reason. I yeah. would, I would take the dog play. I would take the dog play on yeah. Till. We, you don't the, have too much. You don't have enough information right now in the no, week. You haven't no. seen what he looks like. He may look jacked at 185. Trust me, man, he's big. You see the size of him. You'll see how he's. Like the way in matters see. for this. The way in most definitely matters. But he's he's a big dude for sure. He's a big dude for sure. I don't think that. I think when you see them at the wins, you'll obviously say, "Oh, Till's got the size advantage." He and may. I would be tempted on the Till play. The one reason, even though I'm giving Till all this this plus, and I'm kind of giving Gaston a little bit of slack, the one thing that's got me thinking that this is a hard pass for me is Till, on average, in a three round fight doesn't even land 50 significant strikes yep. if he doesn't knock you out. And knocking out Kelvin Gastelum, good fucking luck. Yep. So Kelvin Gastelum over the same course lands 70, 80, could maybe be 100 significant strikes. He's got complete output advantage mm -hmm. on him. He should just march forward and work him. But because he's coming off that beating and becoming, he's coming off a bit of a layoff, you don't know. You don't know and the money's not right on it. So this is a hard pass for me. 
those those are all fair arguments. Yeah, we'll we'll know a lot more as the week goes on. Get ready to enter the ring. DraftKings and Showtime Boxing have partnered to bring you closer to the action than ever before. Introducing the Showtime Boxing Pick'em Game. For every 2019 Showdown Boxing event, you can come out swinging. Each fight card is the opportunity to duke it out for your share of $5,000 and a Showtime Boxing swag bag. Head to www.draftkings.com showtime to play against this Friday's main event featuring Xavier Martinez versus Jesse Chris Rosales in a 10-round super featherweight bout. Um, let's move on. We've got Stephen Thompson taking on Vicente Luque. Stephen Thompson, minus 125. Vicente Luque, plus 105. Um, see, this one, if I didn't see Stephen Thompson get absolutely like stretchered out of an arena by Anthony Showtime Pettis from a Superman punch, this would have been like, you know who's tailor-made? For Steven Thompson, a Brazilian pressure fighter who comes forward, throws hard strikes and he doesn't stuff. move his head. But it's like Steven Thompson literally just wants to move backwards and, and pick you off on shot on spots. But it's like now his damage or whether he can take a punch is maybe compromised. He took some bit like I know the second fight against Tyron Woodley he didn't take much. But like that one knockdown, what, in round well, it doesn't matter what round, but like that round 10, one, eight where he got floored, and then yeah. the subsequent ground and pound. Ooh. Exactly, he took a lot of damage Ooh. in a little bit of a stretch there. So thirty six. I mean, and he's thirty. I'm not worried about thirty six. Maybe in terms of damage, but like his mobility and stuff. Still, everything, all of that, still kind of seems on point. I mean, I I like Thompson. I've come into this situation. I don't want to overreact to him getting knocked out. Like shit happens in MMA. So. I want Thompson. Obviously, there's a shred of doubt there. This would be a a pretty comfortable play if, say, he, yeah, say if he pulled out the decision win against Anthony Pettis last time out. You're probably not getting this price maybe in this spot either. But pick is Thompson. Don't feel too confident about it though. What about you? Yeah, I'm going to go with uh, Stephen Thompson as well. Like I said at the top of the show, speed kills, and he has a significant speed advantage over Vincente Luque. Luque's issue is that he just doesn't move his head a whole lot. He's there to get hit and does get hit by all of his opponents. And against guys that are willing to brawl with you, they're willing to get into a fun fight, he's there to fight back. He's there to have a fight of the night. He's there to have a nice, exciting performance. But against a guy that's not willing to do that, He's going to run into issues. And remember when I talked about all those George Masvidal decisions that at least somebody believes that Masvidal won? At least one judge. They were split. At least one media outlet. All these different places. At least somebody gave the fight to Masvidal. You know one that he actually did lose clean was his fight against Stephen Thompson. You know why? Because Stephen Thompson's not the definition of bad motherfucker. He's not going to stand in front of you. He's going to play his game, and he's way faster than Jorge Masvidal. Mm He's way faster than Nate Diaz. Do you know what would happen if Stephen Thompson fought Nate Diaz? It wouldn't be the fight that you want to see. It'd be Nate Diaz marching forward, getting absolutely picked apart, I think. You know, unless he's able to get him to the ground. Or land like a question mark kick or something crazy like that. Yeah, but it could be like the return of the Johnny Hendricks days where he just like, or the Jake Ellenberger days. You know what I mean? Where he just like hits this guy who's not mobile enough to get out of the way, right? Anyways, what I'm saying is he's got a significant speed advantage. Whereas when you look at um, Vincente Luque, it's almost the same thing that I was just saying in the prior fight, right? With Kelvin Gastelum, you get a good run of opponents. Vincente Luque's had one hell. He's at Jalen Turner, Brian Barberina, Derek Krantz. And, and, and the problem there is that either he sparks these guys out quick or he has one hell of a 
absolute drag him out, tough, gritty war. And the guys that he's getting in those wars with, Brian Barberina, yeah. push him tooth and nail. And Mike Perry, who some believe actually even won that fight and mm-hmm. push him tooth and nail. Those guys are not exactly super technical. Those guys are just there. Those guys to, aren't title contenders. And they hit him at fucking will, by yeah. the way. He puts his hands up, but because his head doesn't move, he just gets hit regardless. So I honestly do feel like Stephen Thompson should be able to dance around and pick up a card. Now, back to what you're saying with the Superman punch thing. Yeah, that's got me worried, too. Two things got me worried here. Not only did he get Because he KO'd, used to always have great durability, so like that wouldn't even durability. be a concern. It wasn't something that existed. And he was right? out, out. It wasn't like, yeah. oh, he got stunned and then the referee stepped in. It was like, no, no, no. He was out before he hit the ground. It was a dirty KO at 36. How's he going to come back for it? The other thing is Pettis had a lot of success with the leg kicks. And Vincente Luque throws some nice leg kicks. Maybe he can slow him down so that Thompson's not mobile enough, and then he's able to pick him off with that big punch and hurt him. I just don't know that he's going to be able to get to it soon enough. I feel like he's there to get hit. And uh, sorry, but but back to the him getting caught is that Pettis was moving back that whole time. So the natural counterpuncher, Stephen Thompson, who wants to counterpunch, was forced to move forward. Mm-hmm. The fans are booming. It's not a great fight, but he's up two rounds, or he's going to be up two rounds. It's late in the second. And he's moving forward. I mean, that's the way and to fight him. That's, that's what causes Pettis to jump on him. And Whereas maybe Luke comes out and fights Luke the counter. doesn't. Ca- I don't know. I know he I doesn't, but like know. we'll see. Yeah, we'll come. We're gonna have we'll to see with like uh, with Shevchenko and stuff too. It's but like, this is a Thompson. If you want to, the, the way to like annoy uh, Holly Holm is a great example. Holly Holm and Stephen Thompson similar styles, right? Caitlin and that's Chukagan. the classic example. Is, yeah, and Caitlin Chukagan, who we'll talk about later. It's just like. The way to like frustrate their game is to stand equally distant away from them, not move forward, make them come forward because that's just not their naturally natural game. And you know, Vicente Luque is good coaching around him, so he may come in with that with that strategy. It's not always so simple as you know, Vicente Luque is going to move forward, Thompson is going to move backward. If it was that simple, then I, I fully think yeah, Thompson is the play, and I think he still is the play for me. I'll probably get to it. But um, but yeah, Luke should know that moving forward probably is to his detriment. It just that's how Thompson fights, and that's why he wants. And do you have anything else? No, left I mean to say I, about that I, I think Thompson will just be the speedier guy. Yeah. He'll stay out of range, and he's going to win a decision. And in New York, Thompson's fought there before. He's the American. He'll, he'll, he's gonna, it's going to be a close decision, maybe, but he's going to get it. We Play got. We got Blagoy Ivanov taking on Derek Lewis. Ivanov is surprisingly the favorite, minus one twenty. Lewis. Plus one hundred, big boys. Derek Derek Lewis doesn't like doing much until he does a whole bunch in one in one bunch, and uh, and even of who just somehow kind of I think we all underrate him over time. Like he does. I've the, done that. Yeah. He does have the style to make this fight ugly, but like I I I I just think it's like Derek Lewis by knockout or bust here generally. And are you in thinking knockout or are you thinking bust? I think it's more of like a heart versus mind type of thing. Like the mind is saying Blago even uh, probably makes you. this like really yeah. ugly, drawn out, stupid war up against the cage. Derek Lewis is huffing and puffing all over himself. But the heart wants Derek Lewis to knock him out, talk about his balls being hot, get up on that microphone and put on a show. But I guess, yeah. All in all, it's uh, Blago Ivanov as the pick, regrettably. What about you? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to have to go with Blago Ivanov as well. Here's a unique matchup of two guys I tend to fade lots. And uh, in Ivanov's case, is that, or Ivanov, he, he's looked 
not great his last two fights. In fact, he's looked bad his last two fights, but he gets the win. Whereas Lewis is fighting the creme de la creme his last two fights, but also not looking very good at all. So there's a lot of factors into this fight. Lewis is mentioning afterwards that he's had like no ACL for the last eight or nine fights or something ridiculous like that. Uh, how do you feel about that? Now he's got it fixed. Does that make him a better fighter? Are we going to see a better, more improved version of Derek Lewis the, now that he's got his knee fixed? Or, 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 or does it not matter? Is he damaged he's goods? He's talked about having to take a shit in the octagon. Like, you can never actually... It's looked like he's had to take a shit in the octagon. the things that he says, you don't... Just based on his tone and how he says things, like, you don't know if the guy's serious or fucking with you at all times. Yeah, but he's got a puncher's chance. That's all he's got. Of but course. He's not, he's he's not shown you the skill or technique to cause you to favorably pick him in any match. Isn't it depressing? though picking Blago Ivanov in this spot I'm talking myself into it so we'll get to that mm. but well, okay so why I got to talk to Don Lewis first is that he gets the surgery in late March right so that gives him some like seven months to recover six or seven months to recover from that but if you look at any of his social media shit a remember you know his coach Bob Perez crew Bob is his main guy in fact Derek Lewis is notorious for not having training partners because all he does is just go in there and swang and bang so it's hard to get guys to train with him but crew Bob Bob Perez, he holds the mitts for him. Bob Perez just had some massive surgery and was in a hospital. So he hasn't really been training with him. I don't know where he's been training. But what I do know is that he's been spending time in Legoland with his family. What I do know is that he's been buying a nice Ferrari and driving it around. What I do know is that he's been living the life of an athlete that maybe never thought he was going to get to this point, but he's enjoying himself. And that's all stuff that doesn't really give you the most confidence in him. So coming off of this surgery, I'm not sure that it made him a better fighter. I'm not sure that Derek Lewis from his debut in the UFC is any different from Derek Lewis at his best. Yes, he's fought significantly better opposition than Blagoy Ivanov as of late, but he hasn't looked good against high-level opposition. So is Blagoy Ivanov high-level opposition? He's got a lot of stuff going his way. He's a world combat Sambo champion. Had beat Fedor back in like 2008. Former Bellator world title challenger. Uh, He's fought at the highest level. But now getting into the UFC, it's just like, yeah, maybe he's not that good. His fight against Ben Rothwell? Dog shit. Looked awful. I thought he lost. Sweet set of decision that fucking shit my apple pie. His fight with Tai Tuivasa. Oof. Tai Tuivasa is proven to be a fat drunk. And he fights tooth and nail Tai Tuivasa. Mm -hmm. That's not good, man. Fighting, that's definitely not good. But he's only 33 years old, right? He's only, he's one year younger than Derek Lewis. Someone tells me that this guy's, those 33 years are city miles, though, because that guy. Oh, yeah, because he got stabbed. Because he got stabbed. Bulgarian wrestling. Plus, he's from Bulgaria. It's just like, and like, you look at this guy's picture. It's just like, he's got one lazy eye. Do you really really believe that he's, what, 32, did you say? 33. Yeah, he's probably like 42. It's potentially he is. Have you seen his real birth certificate? Because I haven't. Yeah, yeah. Well, you see that like gap right before his neck? Everybody says it's because when he was having open heart surgery, they had to make like an entryway so that he could get air. But maybe he is a 50-year-old man who's a smoker, and that's why his cardio is really <laughs> bad, and that's why he's got that fucking thing. Meh, meh. I don't know. I'm saying, I'm saying there's a possibility. Now, onto more serious matters, is that he's one of the top heavyweights now at AKA. And I know AKA is not what it used to be. Cormier, where's his head at? Cain Velasquez, he's a pro wrestler now. But he's getting in some good quality rounds at AKA on the daily basis. His wrestling checks out. Khabib's actually one of the guys that says, hey, man, this guy can still wrestle with the best of them. Mm, kind, so of, kind of supporting him in his, in, in his favor, right? So him flip side big, to that. Big Titty Willis. Uh... <laughs> big Diddy. 
Flip side to that, we don't really know what Lewis is doing. We don't know who he's training with. We don't know what his rounds look like. We just know that he can swing and bang and pack a lot of power. Okay, back to Ivanov. Ivanov, when you look at traditionally throughout his career, he averages something like one fight a year. He fought some, twice in 2017, once in 2018. This will be his third fight in 2019. So he's get rolling. Now that first fight against Ben Rothwell, dog shit, doesn't look good. Shoots no takedowns, okay? Just tries to strike with him the whole time. The second fight, with Tai Tuivasa, he takes him down twice. In taking him down is what secures him the win. It's the first fight in his UFC career that he's used his wrestling because he didn't try to take Junior DeSantos down either. But maybe now, working at, at AKA, working out with those guys like Khabib, obviously he's not getting rounds with a 55er, but maybe he's going to his wrestling. And if he does, he's got a big wrestling advantage over Lewis. If he doesn't, he's never been knocked out, Paul. So it's you can't really say, even though Lewis hits like an absolute truck, that he's just going to easily KO this guy. This guy can take a hell of a punch. So if he stays in the fight long enough, Lewis, coming off knee surgery, his cardio's never been great. It's not going to be improved. He's got a problem. Whereas Ivanov, he goes three rounds all the fucking time because he doesn't got a whole lot of power for heavyweight. And his striking's not terribly bad that I think he's just going to get clobbered out there. So I, I think Ivanov's a play. I was hoping that Lewis would be the favorite or that it would be kind of close to even money and it's slight favorite Ivanov. But I see that. I see why that is. One guy's coming off a layoff. One guy's having his third fight this year, training at a much higher level and has the skills to give him problems. If he goes to the wrestling like he did in his last fight, the first time he did that in the UFC, he, he's going to be okay, this guy, in this spot anyways. So sign me up for Blagoy. Gregor Gillespie. He's back from fishing. The gift. <laughs> he is taking on, <clears throat> well, I just had to clear my throat there. Uh, Kevin Lee, biggest step up in his career, no doubt. Uh, he's minus 170 favorite. Kevin Lee can be had for plus 150. Um, he needs hey, something. We, had, we had to expedite the process for G Gregor Gillespie because the guy never fights. Yeah. And when he does, you're just like, this guy's brilliant. I have went on record, and I'll even say it here. This guy poses the most threats to Habib, in my opinion, because know. what happens if you can't, if you can't, if Habib can't get the takedown? What His striking's then? improved significantly. His, and I think he has strikes get right. I do. I actually. That's fair point. I do. I agree with that, but we don't know that. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. We know that Habib, when he grapples with you, when he gets you down, there's nobody better when he's on top. Yeah. But it's just like if you're not able to do that. That opens up a lot of opportunities that you didn't have before. This is true. This is true. I've been preaching for years, Gregor Gillespie, this is the guy. This guy's going to move through. Um, I'd love it if it was like five rounds. Kevin Lee has a path to sneak in this one now. Kevin Lee co comes out hot pretty much every single fight. He slows down considerably. Um if he's able to keep it on the feed, I think his boxing is at least more proven. We've seen him in a lot more elite level of competition, um, fighting some of the better guys in the world and look okay. We haven't seen much of Gregor, but like that's part of the allure is that like every single time this guy comes out, it looks like he's adding another wrinkle to his game. And we know that that wrestling pedigree is just like second, second to none. none. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I see the path for Kevin Lee, but I'm all about Gregor Gillespie. I actually put a little bit in at like minus 165 uh, just early in the week. I almost think that this is like a great live spot where if you, you're watching live, you see Gregor get that takedown right at the beginning, you just, you just hammer. Because that's gonna if that's going to tire out Kevin Lee. That's just, the, yeah, that's the path. Once he that's gets that takedown, you just, you just shoot the money yeah, in yeah, immediately. Yeah. Um, the question, yeah, like, and like the problem is like, if he doesn't get that takedown, it's on the feet. 
you know, somebody gets knocked out, whatever, like crazy shit happens in MMA. If he gets that takedown early, you just, you shove. Um, I already have a little bit in cause I don't want to, I didn't want to miss the party on the line. Like if it went up over 250, but it's like, yeah, it's hovering around this minus 170 right now. So, uh, Obviously, I'm on board. Let's let's go, Gillespie. Uh, what's your take here, Cody? Yeah, I think that wrestling is the key for sure. I mean, Kevin Lee's now coming back down to 155 pounds, and uh, geez, I don't know, man. I feel like the reason he tried to leave in the first place was because he couldn't make 55. Not only was he mm-hmm. failing to ma- do so, but he was getting sick. He was getting, he was getting sick and doing because so. of it. Yeah, and you know what? Remember how good he looked in that Edson Barbosa fight where it was like, whoa, outside of taking that like spinning round kick in like the fourth or something. It was, yeah. like, it was like, damn. This guy just looks off. He missed weight in that fight, actually. Mm-hmm. And that's a few years ago. He's 27 now. He's like 25 at the time. He, he He's getting bigger. So now here's a guy that says, geez, I thought I was title contention at 55. Can't quite make 55 anymore. I'm going to try 170 pounds. Mind you, he's fighting the best guys. You know, he was fighting Tony Ferguson. He won the first round against Tony Ferguson. Uh, we, we've seen glimpses of brilliance from him. But at the same time, I just feel like he's a lost man searching for something, and I don't know what he's trying to accomplish. He moves to TriStar from his longtime home in Las Vegas. He had moved from Vegas from Michigan in the first place. Uh, he's just kind of searching around for something. He's still young. He's still got all the skills in the world to compete at a UFC level. But by his own accord, this is a really stupid fight to take. This is the stupidest fight I could have taken by his own accord. Kevin Lee, a few years ago, a few fights ago, is 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 pushing Ally Quinn or Michael Chiesa at the press conference. He's got the swagger. He knows yeah, I'm gonna be a world champion. He feels good about himself. Now he's lost a couple fights. Now all of a sudden he's not feeling good about himself. Now he's deflated. Now he's trying to come back down to 155 pounds. It's a problem. Now, yeah, he's a front runner, but he gasses out the longer the fight goes. As you're saying, five rounds, Gregor all day. Because these wrestling exchanges are gonna tire him out. Mm-hmm. But if Gregor goes in there and wrestles, wrestles, wrestles right off the hop then I got to assume that after the first round when he starts to tire out, that's when Gregor can push it on him. I, I think Kevin Lee is a live dog play, but there's just way too much question surrounding him that you got to go Gregor. Gregor at 160, great. 175, I still see it. Gregor Gillespie. You're saying, if he gets to 200, oh. I think it was Athlete posted the stack. Gregor Gillespie attempts one takedown per minute in yeah. all of his time in the UFC. And that's how you're going to absolutely tire out Kevin Lee, who Kevin Lee, by the way, gets tired when you're not forcing these grappling exchanges. He wants to enforce his will on you. But yeah. because I don't think he'll be able to do that to to Gillespie, he's going to have some trouble. But I always got to throw a little bit of a wrench in maybe the plan is that, like you say, we got to expedite the process, right? Mm-hmm. Gregor Gillespie's just shy of his 33rd birthday. And yet his fights in the UFC are Glyco Fraca cut, Andrew Hallbrook cut, Jason Gonzalez cut. It's a massive Jordan Rinaldi, up. I don't know what he's doing. Yeah, Vince Bichelle, that's your boy. Yancey Medeiros. And now he's fighting Kevin Lee. It's a massive A former world up, title yeah. challenger who won the first round against Tony Ferguson. And he's still a favorite. Dude, dude, yeah, he's minus 175 right now. Live dog is Kevin Lee, but I got, but I have got What we can sure say is that guns. in this spot, or sorry, in all of those spots... I mean, he looked awesome. He looked, he looked, like, looked, he was awesome. So, he looked like he was supposed yeah, to yeah, look against yeah. that level of competition. Yeah, fair. But we haven't fair. seen him at this level fair. of competition. So he's getting this is you. You're in the top. You're in the top ten now, buddy. You win this fight. No questions asked. This is you know what this is? This is going for the big catch now. Yeah. You've been you've been nope. fucking around with uh minnows and catfish, but now well, hopefully he hasn't been fucking around with catfish. You know what I mean. 
But now it's time to go get that big prize bass. So uh, yeah, finally, hopefully he reels it in. Finally, it should have been years ago. And finally, like, obviously, when we talk about DraftKings at the end here, like Gregor Gillespie, he's got like six fights in the UFC, which is a good sample size. Um, Great sample average size. these guys. 125.5 points per, uh, per yeah, fight. These guys or, can't wrestle like old Kevin Lee. Young Kevin Lee, 27. <laughs> Feels like he's been around a long time. I think he may be just able to wrestle like that against just about everybody. You but right. only time will tell. Yeah, yeah, we got, uh, moving on down the card, we got uh, Johnny Walker. We'll move faster through these ones. We got Johnny Walker taking on uh, Corey Anderson. Johnny Walker, minus 155. Corey Anderson, plus 135. This seems to be like the fight that is splitting everybody up on the internet. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, Corey Anderson has uh, well well-documented chin issues. That's not exactly a secret to anybody. He's been knocked out a whole bunch. But we have seen, you know, when Johnny Walker was on, like, a Brazilian Contender Series or whatever it was. Just his regional show career. And he, he took on Luis Frankenstein, our old boy there. Yeah. And so, like, they were, like, you know, that 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 looks like the path to victory against Johnny Walker is take this guy down and, and you know, grind it out. And that's exactly what Corey Anderson does. He hides behind his jab and tries to get in there without taking any type of damage. It's a super interesting fight from a stylistic standpoint. I don't have all the answers yet, um, but I am leaning towards like, this is where Johnny Walker gets exposed just because they're on this big show. He's like the main event of the prelims. The UFC wants Johnny Walker to win. The guy's super marketable. He's going to do all these dances and stuff like yeah, that. Man, they and then the Corey jokes. Anderson, the local guy, Comes out and kind of shoves it in their face. That's like, ah, just a little bit too much too soon. But like Johnny Walker's super fun. I'm sure everybody who watches this guy is going to enjoy every moment that this fight is happening. Um, but yeah, I guess pick right now is Corey Anderson. The chin, of course, is an issue against somebody that is this dynamic. Um, I haven't, I, I don't know if I'll bet anything. Another spot that could be very, very good as a live betting opportunity after round one. But, uh, yeah, pick his answer oh, yeah. for sure. After round one, if you could bet it after one minute, two minutes, I think it would favor Corey Anderson. He just got to make sure he don't get caught early. And, and you said earlier, you know, ah, this is one where my head's going one way, but my heart's going another way. This is how I feel about this. My head tells me, Corey Anderson's taking this guy down. My heart's telling me that he's going to get KO'd. And I remember once upon a time, I tell you, I explain it down. I got stats. I got numbers. I've tape studied the shit out of it. And I tell you, Paul, Corey Anderson is going to defeat Jimmy Manawa. I know it. You tell me you're wrong. Guy can't take a shot. You're wrong, Paul. Jimmy Manawa can't wrestle. The problem with wrestling is that the fight starts standing. You got to get the guy down. And and yep. everybody's trying to take Johnny Walker down is that in taking him down, he's so fast, he's so athletic and he's what? 6 foot 4, he's 6 foot 5, tall guy. He's just got that blazing flying knee. He's got a great head kick. He's long, he's rangy. If he catches Corey Anderson coming in, he's going to knock him out. But yeah, Corey Anderson completes a takedown in the first minute or two and holds him down and tires him out then I think all that athletic movement fades away. This is kind of almost similar to that Michelle Pereira fight versus Tristan Connolly, only you're not getting half the value, obviously. Yeah, he's not but like plus 400. Michelle Pereira could 100% knock out Tristan Connolly. Yeah, 100%. He missed with a flying knee. He was like a half inch away from KOing him. But when he didn't KO him, all of his moves became significantly slower. He started to get tired. All of a sudden, his movement wasn't quite there. And then he got grounded down by the guy that had the superior grappling skills. No doubt about it, Johnny Walker's been fight fun and exciting. Very similar to the way Michelle Pereira was fun and exciting. 
But a superior grappler is there to expose him. Corey Anderson's not only a superior grappler, he's, in my opinion, one of the better grapplers in the division. But you're right. The UFC has two options here. Either of these guys win this, they could fight John Jones. Why not? They're there. They have as much say as a fight to John Jones as Dominic Reyes, who just or beat up Thiago a Santos yeah. didn't have any say to it either. Yeah, like, like what are you talking the about? Path to the title is very wide open. Hence why Rockhold and Weidman both yeah. came and failed. Yeah. But at if this you weight but, class. but selling Corey Anderson versus John Jones is tough because it's like ah oh, man, yo maybe he could take him down and grind him for twenty five minutes and yeah. take hold him, him down. There. The guy who took down. Uh, yeah, Daniel and he's got he's got superior cardio maybe, and he can push the gas tank. No, I'm just saying yeah, like exactly. that. That's how you try to sell the fight, right? Whereas a Johnny Walker, like what the fuck is soaring through yeah. the air? Look at these like highlights. Look how sick eagle, it is. This magnificent Brazilian eagle, right through the air, KO and dancing people. like a stripper walking in. <laughs> like he's very easy to get. Does behind. more damage to himself break dancing in a post fight celebration yep. than the actual fight. Listen, it sells itself, no doubt about it. Yep. So I'm sure they would want him to win. But in New York, I mean, Anderson. Anderson's from Jersey. Anderson's going to have all of his hometown fans there. Anderson will be, I mean, he's definitely not the crowd favorite. And I definitely see Walker not getting booed no matter where it is. But I think that grappling a guy down and, and grinding him down the slow way is a path. And here's the one thing I haven't heard anybody talking about. I haven't really talked to all that many people about this specific matchup because it's like it's divided, like you said, right? But Anderson's not a finisher, never been a finisher. Why can't he finish Walker if this does go dirty two or three? If he's completing takedowns, if he's grinding him, and you you talked about Gillespie. Wow, he can score a lot of points. Anderson, with a good matchup, mm-hmm. can score a lot of points. Yeah. He's got a great gas tank. He's got a six foot five Brazilian uh, Muay Thai specialist who's very dynamic. It's like, yeah, as long as he doesn't get knocked he out. He can just keep working them. Yeah. I mean, he's beasting 25-8. And, and, and did you watch no, Bellator? No, he's actually overtime now. I know, I know. Isn't but he? he'll, No, wait, that was... He's overtime now, overtime Anderson. But yeah. he was, he'll always was, be beasting uh, 25-8 to us. What's Volkan Uzdemir's nickname then? No Time? Yes, I knew this. Yeah, like a, yeah. Kind of yeah. a blatant ripoff. Did you watch... And the, they're in the same division. Did you watch uh, the Bellator from this past weekend? Uh, yes. Phil Davis. Okay. Phil Davis, not a known finisher. But the problem is Phil Davis, significant grappling advantage over this Swedish kid who was also a wrestler, by the way. And he just wore him down. Albrechtson or something. Yeah. Carl Albrechtson. Yeah. Carl the King Albrechtson. He just wore him down. He wore him down. And all of a sudden, this kid's not fighting back as much. And all of a sudden, the kid's getting tired. And all of a sudden, Phil Davis, again, not a known finisher, grinds him away. I could see Anderson doing that on top of takedowns, on top of maybe some transitions on the ground. He could be a big scorer here, and he's a dog. So definitely somebody to keep an eye on. Uh, we got Maquan Amirkani taking on uh, Shane Burgos. Burgos, uh, pretty big favorite, uh, biggest favorite on the card uh, at minus 230. I was looking up and... It was very obvious based on how I said that, that I was looking up and down the list to see if he was the biggest just favorite. To, just to make sure. Up and down. Uh, he is the biggest favorite on the card at minus 230. And uh, Amir Ghani is plus 190. Well, this price seems a little bit out of control, to be perfectly honest, from a from a first glance. That's what really jumps out to me. Is actually when I was looking it up last night to make like uh, the sheet or whatever. Um, I was just like, oh, who's the favorite in that one? I, I, I expected Burgos to be the favorite, but not uh, not at like two and a half to one. So maybe I'm a little bit off base here, but it seems like everyone has turned on the, the Finnish superstar in Macwan Amrakani. Now he sucks. Yeah, I know. Two-fight winning streak. Finished his last, uh, his last opponent, uh, that, that Chris Fishgold. Nice little Landicon choke. 
And yeah, people are way off. When the fight got announced, I was like, oh, baby, my boy Shane Burgos. I don't bet against Shane Burgos, so I'm definitely not going to bet against him in this spot. But when the odds came out, that's when I was like, oh, shit. It's definitely value play Makwani Mirakani, who, if he does have a wrestling advantage, why can't he take down Shane Burgos and control him? Shane Burgos is a meat and potatoes, like I mean, he was able guts to- and glory, stand in front of you, hands at his hip side and swing bombs. And if he stands up the takedowns of Makwani Mirakani, yeah, he's a better striker. But Amir Khan has got a serviceable jab. He's going to stay to the outside. He might be a little bit quicker, and he's going to play that perimeter game. And if he lures Burgos into coming in and he completes a takedown on him, he might have a grappling advantage. We've seen Burgos get dropped by Kurt Hollibaugh, which I don't expect him to get dropped here. But on the ground, he throws up that armbar. He smits Kurt Hollibaugh. Kurt mm-hmm. Hollibaugh is actually fucking decent wrestler or a, d- a decent grappler. Like, it's a nice little win. Mm-hmm. But against Amir Khani, like, I don't know you're going to have the same success. So if he does get on top of you and you're throwing up arm bars and shit, like, that might not bode well for you. So as far as live dogs go, I feel like Amir Khani's there. But styles make fights. And to me, I mean, Burgos, he's a much better striker. He can go 15 minutes. He can go at a pace. The problem is, is that his ring IQ is not quite there. So remember the fight with Charles Rosa? It's like Rosa just outpoints him. Rosa just fights a better game plan. Rosa is that. He's going to be at home. So the crowd... All of the energy and stuff, that can make him even more, you know, yeah, and, more wild in the moment. You get you get flustered. You get flustered when it's like, hey, why isn't this guy engaging me? Hey, why isn't this pretty pretty Finnish kid known for that video of him eating an apple? You've seen his topology picture with him and the women. Pretty boy from SBG Ireland. Why isn't he not engaging me? I want to fight this guy. You move forward, you get flustered. You get flustered, you make a mistake. And he's there to get outpointed. For as much as I like the guy, and I love the guy. One, for his style, you have to have a cast iron chin. Like if you're going to fight a Court McGee style, you you have to have a cast iron chin. If you're going to fight that kind of in-your-face, move forward, throw bombs, live or die by the sword, you have to be able to take what's coming at you as well. Him, I'm not completely sold on. The other problem is his ring IQ is not fully there. So as so, you can outpoint this guy. So all I'm saying is, is that I got Burgos, and I see Burgos winning, but this price is just yeah, way out of whack for me. It is too much, and that's going to cause a pass here. We got uh, Brad Tavares taking on Edmund Shabazian. Brad Tavares is the underdog, plus 110. Shabazian finally getting his first like established opponents. Look good Shababy. in most of the spots. I think he's a young guy getting more, uh, you know, Get more reps is all all good for him. He's making a lot of improvements. He's minus one thirty, kind of getting that. Uh, you know, not so much is Israel in terms of Israel like main event of the card, but like Tavares is kind of that. He's Edmund's next he, big thing. He's that he's that gatekeeper basically, right? He's Who, the, Brad? Uh, Brad Tavares. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's yeah, like a, he's, sure, he's sure. your ticket to the top for fifteen. Sure. You beat Brad Tavares, okay, you're a top fifteen guy in the division. Um, is Edmund Shabazian? Uh, Top 15 guy in the division. That's the question. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, he's 21 years old. He's super young. And yeah, this is a kid that's been training for this specifically his entire life, him and his brother. But his brother didn't quite pan out quite as well. And his brother just seems like, even though I think he's 24 years old, it's just like he's he's still green. So even though Edmund Shabazian's looked really good in the UFC, he's effectively looked good against, you know, Charles Bird and... Uh, I, 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 I don't know. I, maybe maybe fighting guys like Bird and Jack Marshman doesn't give you the greatest indicator of how he can go. Whereas what you're saying with Brad Tavares is completely on. Like, 
He's 10 years older than this kid. He's fought in the UFC for a decade. He's fought a ton of up-and-coming challengers, including the current UFC champion Israel Adesanya, who he went five rounds with headlining a card. Like He's been there. He's done that, and that poses some risks. But he's basically the worst guy you could ever hope to have on DraftKings if you were going to play him that way. He just doesn't score points. He's more of a decision fighter, and at this point in his career, I don't even really know how motivated he is. Brad Tavares is absolutely 100% tailor-made for PFL. You go to PFL, you win a million dollars, right? He's super close to Ray Sefo and Ali. He's managed by Ali. He's tailor-made for that. In the UFC, I don't know that he's going to get beyond, as you called it, gatekeeper status, because I feel like that that's kind of where he's sitting at. He's going to pose a lot of problems to this kid. I want to say it's a hard pass, because even though I want to go Shabazian, I believe the hype is warranted. I believe this kid's got the skills, and I feel like Brad Tavares is, as you said, just a gatekeeper, right? This is one kid on his way up versus one kid that's there to prove that this young prospect is the real deal, and I do believe he is. But I don't know that he is yet. He hasn't shown me enough against a higher level opposition that I feel like this could be a little bit of a trap. So I'm just going to take the take the pass on this one as well, I think. We've got J.R. Zinho Rosenstrike getting that top 15 potential rub going on against uh, or taking on Andre Arlovsky. Uh, Rosenstrike is minus 155. Arlovsky plus 135. I feel like the play here is just, uh, I see right now, Rosenstrike inside the distance is plus 100. So, like, yeah, well, if he wins, probably. I, I have think to we've banked Arlovsky up yet. enough. Like, oh, Arlovsky's able to get through these guys, but it's like, the thing about Rosenstrike is he's actually a legit striker and he's got that death touch, man. And that's, these are the guys that knock Andre Arlovsky out, I think. I, Arlovsky could push forward, use that wrestling, make it dirty, get in close, but I just don't trust him getting in close against this matchup. But I've been on Andre Arlovsky in a bunch of his I did think that uh, Ben Rothwell was going to be able to get to him, but it was Ben Rothwell coming back from years away. And uh, he didn't have his vitamins, I guess. I don't know. He looked off against Blagoy, and then he looked off against And Arlovsky. then... Yeah, um, doesn't look like the same big bet of once. No, exactly. And then, you know, the other the other losses here, like... Or, sorry, the... What am I looking at here? He's got a good little role. No, he isn't. He's, uh... What am I looking at? What am I... Yeah. I forgot about that. You know, the tie to Ivasa, Shamil, Augusta Sakai. These guys are all going to decision. I think it's... Andre is well overdue to get knocked out at this point. And I think it's going to happen. It's really? Man, that death touch against... Really? I mean, like, we go back to... When's the last time he got knocked out? Or it's no contest. <clears throat> yeah, he hasn't been knocked out because it used to always be about his Stipe chin. and Overeem. He hasn't been knocked out since Nganu, man. Yeah, oh, the best strikers in the world. Oh, they knocked him out. Yeah, but we think... We I think, think J.R. Zinho is that death touch Rose that he had. Struck. Dude, he hardly had to do anything, and Crowder just crumbled. Yeah, like but nothing. It's Crowder. I think this guy's got, like, if that, he does, he's got that pow pow. Yeah, it's possible. And I'm, uh, I'll end up, I'll end up to Jen betting that one for sure. You think so, eh? Yeah. Why are you picking, you picking Arlovsky? Ah, I don't know. Well, I've passed on the last two, so at some point I got to make myself a play. And yeah, I feel like Andre Arlovsky's faster than this guy, and he's fighting a good game plan now. There was a time where he was getting knocked out, by the way, against the best strikers in the world. But those days of getting bum-rushed by Brett Rogers and Strike Force, I want to say that those days are over. And the thing with Rosenstruck is, if he doesn't knock Andre Arlovsky out in the first five minutes, if this is going two or three, oh, that's all Arlovsky's been doing is going two and three. He's built specific game plans. Now, you know what the big difference I think for him is? 
leaving Greg Jackson's, going to ATT. Now that he's at ATT, they're actually putting in good, solid... I know Jackson's known for his game plans, but that gym got in such disarray at the end, he just wasn't quite getting along. Moves to ATT, it's giving him new life because I think he's coming in here with a solid game plan. And being that he's, what, 41 years old? Like, Andre Arlovsky's been 18 pro losses, been KO'd countless times, vicious KOs, is 41 years old, and yet he's one of the faster, more mobile guys in the division. Maybe that's going to be enough here. Why this wouldn't, we'll talk about it at the end, why this wouldn't be a good DraftKings play is because Arlovsky's going to win by decision if he does win, and if he loses, he's getting sparked. So, you know, you don't exactly want a guy that's going to get knocked out smooth in the first minute or two because he's going to score you absolutely nothing. Yeah, it's a dangerous fight. It's a dangerous fight, and I feel like I'm going to go with Arlovsky. I just don't think there's enough there from Rosenstruck. Fair enough. I think it's gonna happen. He's a poor man's Derek Lewis. I just, I think he's. Well, I think he's with a better, much more tech. Yeah, no, much yeah, more yeah. technical. Infinitely, striker infinitely Derek more technical fighter. I don't know, sure. man. Just the way he dropped Crowder, it's just like it may not take much. It was like when Orlovsky took on Nganu. Just like there's power, and then there's power. I think this guy's got that. Power. Yeah, but do you remember when? Uh, do you remember when who folded up Timothy Johnson? Big baby there. What's his name? Born Albini. Diaper. Yeah, Junior Albini folds up Timothy Johnson, who at that point was thought to have been able to take a punch. He was like, "Damn, he's gonna fold up Arlovsky." Every fight Arlovsky's in, we talk about. Well, what if he gets clipped? He's fucked. Yeah. But this is like dude, it's been dude, a long time it's heavyweight since he's fighting. Been clipped, it's so heavyweight fighting. It's not even really a great argument anymore. Yeah, I think it's like, gonna matter. Overeem, Overeem, Stipe, and Francis Ngannou. It's just like, mm, well, shit. Those guys are legitimately the top three strikers in the division. Yeah. Let's say, like, I don't know. It's we, a, we've, it's a we, tough call. We've like, been I, all over big baby, the big baby fraud, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We wore a fucking diaper ball. But yeah, yeah. yeah. In this, in this case, I'm not saying Rosenstruck's a fraud. I'm thinking I. I see past victory. Sounds like you think he's a fraud. No, I don't think he's totally a fraud. Well, I, just think. I could edit it in a way to make it sound like you said that. But I won't. Well, apparently, Mazadol's getting ready for this BMF title, right? It's a big moment, and they spare no expenses at ATT. Like, let's let's make this happen. And Narlovsky at ATT being one of the guys not sparring with Mazadol, don't get me wrong. But he's going to benefit from this. He's going to be in shape. He's going to be motivated. And Andre Arlovsky, you can put this in the comment section, is in fact... A bad motherfucker. Like, why is mm-hmm. he not? So, you ever seen him in uh, Super Soldier? God damn. Universal Soldier, sorry. Yeah, go on, go on. We, we got, uh, I was going to move on if you had anything else to no, say about no, that. No, we're good. All right, this next one doesn't get me as excited. Caitlin Chikagian takes on Jennifer Maya. Caitlin Chikagian, minus 160 favorite. Jennifer Maya, plus 140. I, I foresee a lot of kias. Yeah. Yeah. They and, sound like a tennis uh, match. Um, I don't know. I mean, this is like the tailor-made type of person for Ch- Caitlin Jukagian, Brazilian kind of Muay Thai specialist. He's going to move forward. So I guess Jukagian decision. That's kind of how I would probably see this one playing out is just Maya moves forward. It's in New York crowd. You know, it's going to be dicey. You're going to go to the scorecards and you're like, like every other Caitlyn Chikagian fight, fight where you're just like, did she win that though? But uh, like what she does, for whatever reason, very effective with the judges. So I think this is a similar type of matchup. Like we need somebody who can take Chikagian down and exploit her there. But it's just not the bodies at 125 pounds in the women's division. So Chikagian by decision. Um, 
uh, I don't think I'm, yeah, I don't think I would bet it, but that's my pick. And I really, and when we'll talk about DraftKings later, I'm not going to be touching this one with a 10 foot pole. Yeah. I always called it like Leonard Garcia effect. You're not necessarily hitting the target, but you're making noise and you're moving forward and it sounds like something's going on. So at the end of the, Dominic Cruz calls it peacocking, right? It's let's say Dominic Cruz is fighting you and he's moving around. You know what he does? He's got a shoulder roll. He's, he's bouncing around and you're standing there in front of him and neither of you guys land a single strike that entire round. Well, who won the round? The guy that stood there and did nothing or the guy that was moving around and did nothing? The, the guy that was moving around. Why did that happen? I don't know. If the other guy was moving forward the whole time with his hands up, it might be different. But it's doing something. Sometimes it's doing nothing. Caitlin Jukagian, she has no power. But what she has is she throws a ton of strikes. They don't all land, but she might double you up. She might just land a little bit more than you. You're landing the power strikes. She appears to just be landing more strikes. Mm -hmm. And that's why fights like the Joanne Calderwood fight, yeah, it's a close fight. Calderwood landed the better punches. It was a close fight. But because you're doing it on this three point or this 10 point must system over the course of three rounds, it's geared towards Caitlin Jukagan. Mm -hmm. Her style, which is not a friend, friend uh, a fan friendly style, is the same style that Elias Theodoro implored to actually have success in the UFC for, for fuck's sakes. You know what I mean? That's mm -hmm. crazy that he was winning the UFC with this style. We talked about earlier with Stephen Thompson. Stephen Thompson uses a similar style, even though he's a little more aggressive. Uh, it's not always the most fan-pleasing style, but it's effective and it wins. Jennifer Maya hits way harder than Kaylin Chikagian. She might land the harder strikes, but she's going to be probably chasing her around and she's probably going to be being outlanded. And in New York, which are probably going to be approached Chikagian crowd, I do see her getting another one of these close decisions. If you could bet specifically split decision, who cares the winner, but it's going to be a split decision, that'd be that'd be the move. But because that's a prop bet that does not exist, uh, we're going to have to just say that it's going to be Caitlin Jukagian who should get set split decision. So uh, I don't think this would be a DK play either. And I think as far as the money line goes, you can you'll it's not much more value, but her specifically by decision because you just know she's not likely to get any type of finish. We got uh, Lyman Good taking on Chance Rencounter. Lyman Good minus one thirty-five favorite. Rencounter plus one fifteen. Um, Rencounter, you know, he took on Kyle Stewart. Not not somebody at this level. And then I think a lot of his, you know, rub right now is kind of coming from being, being so much level. bigger than Ismail Nardiev. Yeah. He was able to use his size. And his grappling prowess. That's how that's how this guy does his best work, is just being like bigger and stronger. He's really, really tall. My concern for him in this matchup is Lyman Good is significantly stronger than him. And he doesn't possess the problems to like to drop. He doesn't, you know, uh, you know, uh Lyman Good lost to Damian Maya. He had a split decision against um what's his name again? Uh, uh, Zaleski Dos Santos, my bad. And, you know, and he, he knocked out Ben Saunders, which is like a level of guy he, sh he should be beating. Yeah. I like Lyman good a lot here, I think. We're in his home state where, you know, he's a New York guy. Um, and, yeah, I, I think what Ren Counter does best, he's not going to be able to utilize against him. Maybe he's able to, like, jab and keep him off, but, like, Ren Counter doesn't possess the type of power that would worry me against Lyman Good. Like, I think minus 135 is actually a pretty good price here. What about you? Yeah, like, Lyman Good is the New York fighter. He is the veteran fighter. He's the former Bellator champion. Um, but I don't know. He's just had a lot of... I, 
inconsistency throughout his career. And I think it comes down to like confidence. My only thing is, yeah, he's he's twice as strong as Chance Red Counter. And he packs one hell of a punch. But let me, let me just stop you for a second. Yeah. Inconsistency throughout his career. Here's a list of his losses. Yeah. Yep. Damian Maya, Elizy Zaleski, and that was a split. Um, Ian Stevens on the Ultimate Fighter House, so he probably choked. He lost in Ian Stevens. He choked in that was, Ian Stevens situation. was four and zero at the time on uh, the tough show. Andre Koroshkov, absolute Bellator yeah, okay. killer. So he lost Rick Hahn, um, who Rick was Hahn. like a was really never good. made it, never made it. But I thought he was good too. He's an Olympic judo. Ben, ben Askren, Ben Askren, yeah. And that was Ben Askren years ago when he was at the top of his respective division. So like he's not losing the schlubs. This is fair. However, to counter this, he's not losing to schlubs. He's giving a good account of himself, right? He comes to the UFC. He absolutely smashes Andrew Craig, okay? Then he has, after he beats Andrew Craig, he tests positive. He takes a two-year ban from USADA. Mm-hmm. Now he comes back in the Zaleski fight. He's fighting one hell of a fight against one hell of a fighter, and he could win this thing. In between rounds two and three, his corner's like, why aren't you going forward, Lyman? Like, why aren't you going forward? And he's like, I'm afraid to get knocked out. I'm afraid to get knocked out. I don't want to engage him. And in classic Tiger Shulman fashion, he tells him, like, get knocked out. Go go get knocked out because he has to tell that to his fighters. And then Lyman Good ends up losing the fight. He beats Ben Saunders. Yes, as you're saying. He hits Ben Saunders. Ben Saunders folds up. The fight was like, what, 92 seconds long. It was fast. He knocks Ben Saunders out. Perfect. And then the Damian Maya fight. I mean, fuck, it's Damian Maya, so. But he's one and two since the USADA suspension. He doesn't fight super frequently, and his wins are not exactly the highest caliber of wins. So the thing is, is that yes, he's way stronger than Chance, Chance Rancounter, even off the drugs. Whatever. If he wasn't steroids, whatever. He's still way stronger than him. He's got more power than him. He could hit him. He could do some damage. But Rancounter took some hellacious shots against Nordiev. He's got a great chin. He's able to weather it and keep coming forward. And what we've seen with Lyman Good is that that's how you beat him. Is just once you move forward, you know, people were giving him a shot against Damian Maia. Like, oh, dude, what if he is too strong? Damian Maia can't take him down, and then he boxes him up. But it's like, no, the second he took him down, it was game over because Lyman Good packed it in. That was it. That was probably why he was on the sauce in the first place. He lacks the confidence. That's why he's questioning himself between rounds. He In a fight that he could win here, it's close, he lacks the confidence. And this is going to be a problem because Rank Counter is going to keep grinding. Rank Counter is going to keep coming. But... I'm not sold on Rancounter's skills at all. I think he's just been in advantage positions against opponents that he's able to beat. So I would have to say pass. And I've seen a lot of sharps in this game, a lot of smart minds that I highly respect, and they're on chance Rancounter. But when I look at it, it's like if Lyman Good comes out like the Lyman Good, you know, who is, isn't on the Jews, is bad confidence, all those things, then yeah, I agree with those guys. I wouldn't be putting massive amounts of units on it, but I agree with those guys. Chance, Chance can spring this one. But yeah, if he proves me wrong and he's fighting at home and he comes out here, yeah, dude, he's way stronger. Taking him down is going to be a problem and he's going to have a striking advantage. So he could pose a lot of problems. So it almost screams dogger pass situation and definitely wait until you see Wayne's to see uh, how it shakes up. So your boy, uh, Hakeem Dewali, is a favorite. Hakeem. Me and Hakeem. Uh, Julio Arce, uh, minus 130 for Dewali, plus 110 Arce. Um, I guess we, we saw the, for Arche, it's like we saw the Shane Mumarais fight recently. So I guess that's where it was a split decision win for 
Shay Mamurai. So I guess the general mentality there is that this is a very similar type of, type of stylistic matchup and RJ is going to, you know, just not do enough. So hence the line. So I guess it kind of makes sense. Um, my problem with Dewadu in general is just like, I don't really think he has very much pop behind all of this. Like I, he, he lacks the, the power that I think we saw in like the regional scene stuff. It just hasn't transferred to this level of competition. So uh, I'm not going to be playing this one. I think it's going to be super, super close. Uh, what's your take on it? Yeah, I guess I think it's another dogger pass situation. So we're talking about hometown guys, and Arche will yeah, be exactly. the hometown guy. I mean, he is New Jersey, but he's going to have his following there. He was a former uh, regional show champ or regional show champ in that area for a long time. I, I think that he's got the cleaner skill set. I mean, he's a former Golden Glove boxer. He's a southpaw striker, and if he just beats Hakeem Dawadu's, you know, Muay Thai style, he can beat him to the punch. He can hurt him. Dewadu, there was a time, and I still think he's a good fighter, I see, I, but I, there was a time I thought he was a great fighter. There was a time where he was going to be, to me, Canada's next big thing. I mean, he's a vaunted Muay Thai champion. He's got great power. The guys that have trained with him all say he's the best striker they've seen. His takedown defense, oh, pff, massive improvements. Stuff in takedowns now. His little run in World Series of Fighting, I thought he impressed me. He's trending in the right direction. He comes to the UFC, and even though he's had some good performances, bad performances, Nothing's really stood out. Like nothing gives you that impression that he is that next big thing. Whereas I'm not saying Julio Arce is, but he's got skills. He's got skills everywhere. He might be a slightly better wrestler. Taking down Duwadu is going to be a problem. But I do give him the, the wrestling advantage. He's a better grappler than Duwadu. If he does take him down, he's going to outgrapple him. And as far as the striking goes, can he beat him to the punch? Yeah. And Duwadu's proven that maybe his chin's not that great. Maybe you can get this guy. Maybe you can sting this guy. So a lot of people are saying Duwadu. A lot of my friends are telling me Duwadu, which is why. I'm getting cold feet about it, but I think it's dog or pass. And mm -hmm. if, if Julio Arce favorite at home here in a fight that he could be a little faster, Dewadu's a slow starter. So if you give up a round, you give up two rounds. And by the way, it's he's done this a hard. lot. It's not going to be hard to, especially... Arce can bank rounds and early, survive. He's going to get the when decision. When it's early in the night, too. You know who are the only, fan, like the only fans that are there? One, hardcores. Two, you know, like friends and family and stuff like that. Like... So all of the crowd is cheering for the local guy in that situation. Like, I think as the night goes on, especially a card of this magnitude, like if in the main event, you know, there's no type of edge. But I think early in the card, the crowd can really, uh, really affect it because there's not that many people there. And all the people are there are probably there to see Julio Arce. Right. And Hakeem Dewadu doesn't, like you said, pack a whole lot of punch. So mm -hmm. if, if I'm not hurting you, if I'm not stinging you, if I'm not clearly winning these rounds, then who's to say it's not just going to be another one of these close decisions? And if it is a close decision, I'm going to have to go with Arce. So that that would be the play there. So, All right. Hit me up with the uh, the pogey rub parlay. The, the PRP, pogey, as the they're PR saying on the streets. As the BMFs out there are saying. As the BMFs are saying out there, I am. Actually, let me just get. Okay, I am going to go with Masvidal, minus 165. I'm going to go... Oh. I'll go with Kelvin wow, Gastelum. I'm gonna, I know, I know. I'm already... going to go with Kelvin Gastelum, but this I said it was a pass, and it is a pass, but I'm going to I'm gonna go with Kelvin Gastelum. I'm going to go with uh, Stephen Thompson, 130, decent price. Blagoy Ivanov, minus 120, pretty much a pick -em. I'd rather it be a pick -em, but minus 120, whatever, good enough. Kirk Gillespie, 170, that's still a good price. Uh, Corey Anderson, let's get some dogs in here. Plus 135, value, money's starting to come in on him, so probably want to jump on it now. Mm -hmm. 
he listen, fuck, he might get sparked in the first round, but I got faith that he's going to be able to grind this one out. We'll see. Hopefully it's not another Jimmy Manoa situation. Shane Burgos, but geez, 230, just not my kind of liking. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go with Edmund Shabazian. Think about how many times uh, Israel Adesanya's fought since Brad Tavares, right? And think about all the improvements and just like the advancements and like the game changes and you learn so much. And it's like, this guy's just been sitting on the sidelines for way too long. And I, I told you there's certain guys that fit the definition of a cookie cutter. Brad Tavares, motherfucker's a cookie cutter. Moving on, we're going to go with Andre Arlovsky. Got to get another dog in there. Another plus 135. Caitlin Chukagian, 160. Take her by decision. I'm going to take Ren Counter because he's the dog. It's a dogger pass. I'll take Ren Counter. And I'm going to take Arche because it's another dogger pass. So there's quite a few decent dogs here. Um, a lot of them are kind of that hovering around near money. But definitely money to be made on this card. Last week's card, God, I don't want to talk about it, but I feel feel I have to. Yeah, Ben Askren. We knew how fucking awful of a striker he was. We knew he was going to get outstruck. And we knew he'd probably secure some takedowns and maybe do something with it. It appeared he was able to kind of do that, but he got tired. And that I didn't see coming because yeah. he's been known. It's a random draw and all, but yeah, if you he didn't got, have got, Ben Askren as the worst striker in the UFC in the comment section, you're probably wrong. Yeah, it was a random draw in the comment section. But again, it should certainly appear that he was the worst striker that you've ever seen at this exactly. level. But but I, I you nailed it 100%. This before guy gets a we, lot of well, grief. Well, we didn't talk about it. No, that was, we talked about that That's outside before we came in. Yeah, we'll, we'll go ahead because you're 100% right. I agree. I just you. think, yeah. It's it's like, heat, this, this guy, guy his legacy, Ben Askren's legacy is so tarnished now. Like everyone thinks he's a complete schmuck and he sucks his whole life. Yeah. But it's just like, think about this. He's got, I forget the name of him. He's got a pro wrestling podcast that he does like every single day. He's got a nice setup. He goes on to a Helwani show pretty regular. He owns his own gym. Chain of gyms, yeah. He does all of these different things. So when, he was, years when he was at the top of his game, when he was doing the God Bless America on uh, top Korshkov. of Korshkov's back, that was the best hit Ben Askren that we ever saw. When he got that deal to go to one championship and he... You know, he started getting that some of that Singapore money. I think that's when he took his significant step back. He took his foot off of the gas pedal and was just like, it was more about business, building his brand and stuff like that. So, like, it's unfortunate that his career is going to be tarnished because there was always questions about whether he would be able to go in there and be GSP. He's got the wrestling. Obviously, he didn't have the striking to compete with GSP on the feet, but maybe back in the day he was able to take him down. It sucks for him that he was like. You know, he was so hyped up, and then now everyone is going to think forever that he just completely sucks. But I'm saying that, like, the guy that showed that, you know, gassed against Damian Maia and got finished and looked horrible on the feet, that was not the best version of Ben Askren. Because the best version of Ben Askren didn't have 37 other things surrounding his life that he had to tend to and we always talk about narratives and that's a narrative that obviously nobody spoke about and at the end of the day yeah Damian Maia is the better fighter Damian Maia is the better grappler Damian Maia is the real deal 42 years old still kicking ass and the guy is a bad motherfucker he fits the description he is a BMF whereas Ben Askren just proved maybe he wasn't what I'm more apologetic was the Michael Johnson decision. Like, son of a bitch. You know, if that if that would have hit, I would have been okay. The asking shit wouldn't have mattered. Really wouldn't have. I it's don't like, even know what happened ah, there. It's just like he got tired and fell down. And then it's like he's, he started having like night terrors about, about Habib fight or something like that. Yeah, but he was you given a I mean? bad first and foremost, given a bad. It's like once he was lying there, it's just like he looked like yeah, mentally yeah. like checked out completely. It's crazy. And to be honest, this is the tough thing about betting a fight as opposed to how you actually feel about it. But like, I thought Stevie Ray won the first round. Then I went on Twitter, 
Everybody fucking thought Johnson won the first round. That boat's good for me. Johnson kicks his fucking ass in the second round. And Johnson is kicking his was, ass in the third round until like two, two yeah. minutes left. Stevie Ray takes it out and dominates. Honestly, that first round was so close. So how, like, so Michael how Johnson was kind of just having a scary... Sc- I scored it just for I scored it for Johnson, but I think that's because I had him on like my main draft. That's King. what I'm saying. I had him on I my main DraftKings so lineup, bad. so I think I gave him the edge. I wanted him to but win like, so it was, bad. It was it was not a robbery, but I didn't believe he won. And so, anyways, I take Otis yeah. on that one. Bad pick this week. I truly do believe money to be made. So good luck to everybody, and yeah, uh, well, let's kick some asses. We got DraftKings. Now we got to talk about DK. So we talked about all right. We're yeah, getting gotta, the hang of breaking them down this way again. So hopefully. Because we're already an hour and 15 minutes into it. Anyway, we're just going to run through the DraftKings, maybe strategy, who we like from different tiers and stuff like that as we go along. I think it's pretty uh, safe to say, at least if you had listened to the earlier part, all of these things are obviously time code throughout or in the description. You can kind of skip to where we're talking about certain fights. But we have Burgos, 9,300, Gastelum, 9,200. Gillespie, 91, and Johnny Walker, 9,000. Okay, here's what I'm like, I mean, above 9,000, you have Gl- like Gregor Gillespie. I know it's a harder wrestling, but it's just like, as I said earlier on, is that this guy, his his wrestling may be matchup proof. It may be so good that it doesn't really matter who he goes against. And I tend to b- agree with that and think that way. I think he is like the absolute autolock smash at the top, but maybe you disagree. No, I think uh, as you were coughing earlier, you said, sorry about my throat. Maybe you just need a fisherman's friend. Gregor Lesby, he's the <laughs> gift that keeps on giving, baby. Yeah, 25.3 points. Yeah, yeah. Like, and it's not like he's a high-level BJJ black belt. So once he gets said takedown, take yeah, once he gets the takedown, it's not like he just smothers you on top control. Mm-hmm. Like You do get up, and he does take you back down. His cardio is just, it's amazing. He keeps going, he keeps going. Maybe he wouldn't be an Olympic champion, but he could be an Olympian if it wasn't for a man named Jordan Burroughs being in the same weight class. He's got the skills. When when people talk about him being the only threat for Khabib, it all comes down to Khabib wins all of his fights with a superior grappling, and maybe this guy could Can outgrapple. negate that, and who knows what happens on the field. Yeah, and whereas with Kevin Lee, it's like yep. he didn't pick up wrestling until grade 10, wrestled for three years, never wrestled collegiately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a good wrestler. He's not a great wrestler. So like, this guy's a great wrestler. Rank these guys for me above. This is what we're going to do because I'm sure we got to get through it. But just rank these guys for me. Burgos, Gastelum, Gillespie, Walker. Gillespie? Uh, who's the second guy you said? <laughs> Burgos, Gastelum, Gillespie, yeah, maybe, Walker. I don't know. Gillespie's number one. Okay. I don't, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you. I have different feelings on it. Yeah, but I was just—I was just—I was interested to hear your rankings. So my rankings, I guess, for it would be like it would be Gillespie, Walker, because if this guy wins, it's by first round knockout, and he's taking on a chinny opponent. Gastelum, then Burgos. I think Burgos is the worst play up there. I, Amir Khani will be interesting all the way at the bottom, at uh, sixty sixty nine hundred dollars. Yeah, a guy with a wrestling style. Whether you can get those takedowns, I think the it's pretty clear that he's an interesting guy down there. If you're looking for a total punt, um, I don't know this this new segment maybe uh, maybe a bit of a struggle bus today. Yeah, well, this is what I'm saying. Name name me the guy and name me the price. Rapid fire segment. Go. N- name name me, what right guy? right from the top, from value wise, with the most expensive guy on DraftKings. Yeah, 
I just did that. Yeah, okay. Start with the most expensive guy. Go. Who's the most expensive guy? Burgos is the most expensive guy. 9,300. Don't think the value's there because I don't think he's going to be a knockout. Miracani, who could just slow it down with his wrestling and the grappling. That's bad value. Gasolum, 92. Yeah, Gasolum might be able to hit the chinny Darren Till, but I'm not fully feeling it. 185 Darren Till might not be as chinny as we think. Gasolum has the output, but without the knockout, not worth the 92. Uh, Gillespie, 91. $9,100. The guy traditionally can score 110, 120 points. He keeps going, he keeps going. This is a decent matchup for him. I do see value in that play. We got Walker at 9,000. The thing with Johnny Walker is if he does win, he's definitely worth the 9,000. He's going to get a first-round knockout. It's going to be in spectacular fashion. You're going to want some chairs. Buyer beware here. If he loses, he's going to get smothered with the grappling. Because I'm personally going Corey Anderson, I don't like Johnny Walker, so I'm saying no value. However, big GPP, you're going for it. He's the kind of guy you're going to want some shares of anyways you want to talk, talk about no no uh value we got chukagian 8900 that's like the easiest pass on the card yeah unbelievably easy pass i mean DraftKings doesn't factor in decision victories in the same way that you know yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah you feel better with the money line on it because she might go secure the decision but as far as significant strikes landed she might get 50 not enough no takedowns no ground transitions no knockdowns you can't get behind that it's probably smart just avoiding that fight in general with maya I don't Maya could be maybe playable if she gets the win type of thing, but like there's we'll, so we'll many, get to her, there's yeah. so many better spots on this card. We have, uh, Masvidal, 8,800. Obviously, Diaz is 74. I see some value there. He's got five rounds to work with, even though he does take some rounds off. He, you're going to have to use some money in some other spots. Even though I didn't like the big expensive plays, $8,800, five rounds to work with, significant striking advantage, I do believe, maybe mixes in the takedowns, but this is a bad motherfucker fight. This is a bad motherfucker main event. And if it ends up being, if it ends up being a war and it ends up being a dog fight, you're going to want the winner. I'm picking Masvidal. I'll take that 8,800. I'd more drawn to Diaz, to be honest. Well, which we'll get to just we'll his get ability to, to take damage we'll and get stuff to like it. that uh, we got Rosenstrike 8700 if you're going with by recent history not recent history but traditional history on Andrei Arlovsky maybe he hasn't he, got knocked out in years so. right so yeah so maybe you want Rosenstrike as a as a GPP's expensive but he could have that if big he wins, payoff probably by knockout he gets that death touch yes again. but Arlovsky's at least in his recent fights with a good game plan slows shit down and it leads to being low scoring affairs. Yeah, I don't so. want any, I don't want shares of Rosenstruck and I don't want shares of Lasky who, who we'll get to. I want shares of Rosenstruck, but that's, uh, that's just me. Uh, Dewadu 8,600 taking on Arche. Arche is 76. doesn't have the power and Arche is too mobile. If he does win, which he could win, it'll be by decision and it won't score enough. I'd have to pass on Dewadu. Steven Wonderboy Thompson is 8,500. He just doesn't land enough volume for me, to be perfectly honest. Um, uh, Luke could force him into a little bit more of a barn burner or war. Um, but I would actually be more inclined to play Luke 7,700. In the hopes that he's able to, you know, maybe Thompson's durability is finally put into question. I don't think, I don't think, uh, Luke would be very, very much well owned in this or won't, won't be owned all that much in contest. What about you? Yeah. I mean, Luke fights a way different style of fighter, but he's there to get hit. He's there to get styled on. The problem with striker versus striker matchups is without any possibility of takedowns or ground transitions, you really need him to absolutely blow this guy out of the water. And with Steven Thompson, he's smart enough to maybe intercept him. $8,500, not the worst price tag. I do think Thompson wins. I do think Thompson could score some points, but I don't think he's going to get 85 points and therefore technically no value on the play. Yeah, if he wins, probably more in like the 70. Cash game play. 65 game play. to 70 type If you want to win the big play, I don't know that that's your option. 
Lyman Good is eighty four hundred. Rencounter is seventy eight. Well, what do you think? If Rencounter hadn't shown off such a good chin in his last fight, I'd say, geez, Lyman Good could catch this guy in the first round. It'd be a decent little play mid range that could score really big. But because my gut's telling me that he maybe does land some big punches, doesn't get that first round finish, mm-hmm. tires up, and Rencounter just keeps coming at you. Good grappler, good wrestling, good grinding abilities. That maybe he pushes it on. The value play here would be, which we'll get to, but I think Rencounter on the flip side, move on Lyman Good, try to. Lent Ryan counter on some lineups. Shabazian is eighty three hundred. That's interesting. Tavares if you, if you is think, if you think this guy, if you think this guy, is, if the, if you think this guy's the truth, but he's been beaten up on a bunch of cans and bums and stuff like that. So it's hard to think. You know, he went to the decision against Darren Stewart. So, and I'm sure he did not. Let me just look this. No, that's his only decision. Everybody his, else lasts a minute. And that fight, he scored ninety still. So at eighty three hundred, if you think Shabazian's gonna win, like he's definitely in play. Ninety. Scoring ninety at one oh seven and one oh three in his in his three our uh, most recent fights. So I think Shabazian, I think he's yeah, he's definitely these mid range guys are definitely in I don't oh, really yeah, like yeah, Tavares yeah. Like all that much guys. myself, but I don't know. No, if you look at Shabazian, how has he won the majority of his fights, right? The Marshman fight, minute twelve. Uh the Charles Bird fight, thirty-eight seconds. The Antonio Jones fight on, on contender series, forty seconds. Danny McWilliams, thirty seconds. He's got another one, minute eight. 258, 316, 43 seconds. Holy shit. Yeah, you want exposure to this guy because he's cheap. I do think he's going to have higher ownership. I think people are going to chase that. But Brad Tavares in his last fight went five rounds with the current champion. Brad Tavares is a guy that's shown to have some pretty solid durability. Uh, he has been knocked out, correct, against Tim Boach. I mean, he, he should be able to withstand what Shabazian is presenting. But for $8,300, I think Shabazian's got a lot of skills. And if he has to rely on maybe just grinding out a wrestling match, that's what he did against Darren Stewart. Mm-hmm. The Darren Stewart fight is the only fight he went more than one round, and he didn't look great. He did not look great. And he started gas. He started to gas, but he got that rounds in him. He got that experience in him, and he he's beat, super young. Yeah, his wrestling was able to back him out. Now, how good is Darren Stewart's counter wrestling look? He's making progression. This kid, 21 years old, making progression. But the Edmund curse might fuck you in the ass, so just watch out for that. And I would think $8,300 is actually decent for Shabazian. The uh, Derek Lewis and Ivanov are right in the middle. Ivanov's 82 and Derek Lewis is 8,000. I was just kind of looking through um, Derek Lewis's, you know, his Bang most recent. F- and he's, even when he's bang, he's not even no, like. He lands 20 strikes. The only time he he's ever scored the over. The only time he's ever scored over 100 points was Gonzaga in 2016, at least on this list here that I'm yeah. looking at. And then you're looking at like Roy Nelson when he went to decision, 49 points. Abdurakhimov, even when he knocked out uh, Tybura, it was 91 points, which is fine at that price for him to do that. There's but, like, there's a lot of, there. like, matchups where it's, you know, against Mark Hunt, 26 points. Nganu, 40 points. Like, and if he gets, obviously, finished, like, Daniel Cormier and, and Dos Santos, like, two and four. So, it's like, there's not even all that much boom. Like, he either lands the big boy... Uh, at some point, but he just isn't active enough to be a good play. You know what? You nailed it 100%. When I was looking at his fight numbers, I said, okay. But you think about him being this great, like, GPP uh, play, but it's like he doesn't he doesn't put up anything <laughs> big. So, like, maybe let everybody else play Derek Lewis. I'll be off this week. Yeah, well, I, I would personally move off of it because even though I think Ivanov's going to win, I think it's going to be a fairly low-volume striking match, which I, he'll, he'll mix in some takedowns, but maybe not enough. I think just pass it from both sides. People will play Derek Lewis because he's got that high upside for the mm-hmm. knockout. But yeah, you're 100% right. 
When I looked at Derek Lewis's striking numbers in fights that he doesn't just get the quick knockout in, right? So, for example, the, the uh, Alexander Volkov fight, it goes late in the third round. He landed 39 strikes to that point, was outstruck 121 to 39. The Francis Ngannou fight, it went 15 minutes, he landed 20 strikes. The Tabura fight, it went deep into the third round. It went past the midway point in the third round. He landed 30 significant strikes. The Mark Hunt fight went deep into the fourth round. He landed 51 significant strikes. Holy fuck, man. He just, he's just that one shot. And we knew it. But he's just that one shot. When you look at Ivanov, you're not noticing it. But in his last fights, he's lighting 70 significant strikes apiece, right? He's doing more. So he's going to do more. And I don't, because he's never been knocked out. I think that one big shot doesn't land from Lewis. Mm -hmm. So I agree. Fade Lewis, fade the field. Hopefully he has high ownership because he's mid-range play. Who's, he's paid off for people in the past. But as you said, Maybe he hasn't paid off that good. Coming off the knee surgery, like he's not breaking. He's not breaking the slate. Like even even you know if what? he gets a first you know round what? knockout, you don't necessarily need him. There's other people on this card with. I just with talked myself fields. into an Ivanov mid range play bet. Thank you, Paul. I know I've said pass on both sides. Oh, I we're think, playing. We're playing Ivanov. Eh? I think. I think Ivanov mid range play. Get me some takedowns. Guess, tire this guy out and just keep punching. I guess we can wipe away all of our tears, our fandom tears, with all the money. He got stabbed one time, and he's still here. I know. He could be okay. And we'll Derek Lewis's main train, our main coach, you're saying is, is yeah. out of the picture yeah. right now. So oh, that's so depressing. I want Derek Lewis to because it's it's fun when Derek Lewis wins, but you're, you're, the savvy plays probably. Ivanov. The fact that that line is sitting out there like that, casual people are familiar with him. And it's just like, oh, we'll give you slate plus money. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably, yeah. Ivanov's going to stink up the joint, ruin the card. And win. <laughs> and win. And still fuck our DK teams. Um, anything anything left to say about the card? DraftKings breakdown? Like, well, I don't guys, know. Was that, was that it? We just got to rifle, I mean, rifle through the, the value plays quick. Just right. rifle right through quick. What value plays? Well, we just, we went from the most expensive to the mid range. We went through the whole card. We talked about everybody essentially there. Okay, fair enough. Whatever. If you're cool with it, I'm cool with it. We're a little bit. Of, it's uh, it's a work in progress. I'll I'll think of something in terms of this. Uh, what do you think is the value plays? You know all the odds and well, stuff. Like what are no? The, I can't see it. My thing's fucking up. It's been fucking up the whole show. Right, well, that's why it looks like I keep looking at it. It's all it's all fucky. Next, so just, next just show we'll get through. you back on. All right. Okay. I, well, you want me to go from the bottom now? Because like all you, those guys. Just, yeah, just rifle through them really quick. All right, I wish you had, yeah, I should have got you the uh, pricing info. We'll just go super quick. Uh, Amir Khani, 6,900 till 7,000. Value on, value on Amir Khani because he's so cheap and he might be able to win this fight. And because of his wrestling takedowns, yeah. that's points. Uh, Darren Tilt, geez, he could win this fight too. And if Kelvin Gaslam took a lot of damage, this is a power puncher. There's but it's value not there. a wrestling. I, I would lean towards. There's value on both those guys, but Amir Khani better value. I would lean cheaper. towards Amir Khani in that spot because as Fair, long as he's yeah. able to take damage, he should have a grappling advantage I, and he's going to go to that grappling advantage. Yeah, so I, I think 6,900, he's the play down there. Uh, Kevin Lee taking on Gillespie. Bad stylistic <sighs> matchup. He's going to have to stay yeah, on the feet. He's, he's, he's got a shot, but I don't think he's the DK value. The payoff's going to be enough there. Corey Anderson, 72. Yeah, absolutely, because he's going to score a lot of points with the takedowns. It might force a late stoppage. Jennifer Maya, 73. Fuck that. I mean, you're chasing Dan Kagan the whole time. That's DraftKings cancer. Nate Diaz, 74. I mean, it's a bad motherfucker fight. If they're going to get in a war, yeah, $7,400 is not that much, You're going to need the winner, probably. Well, you, you can stack in a cash I can game. See, you can, can stack in a cash I can Maybe. see Masvidal Maybe. winning at that price and not being in an optimal. If Nate Diaz wins a five-round war against Masvidal at 7,400, 7, there's no way that he doesn't end Value. up in an optimal line. Value on Nate. 
Um, Andre Arlovsky, 75. No, he's just, he doesn't That's his enough ceiling is 75 yeah, yeah, points. Yeah. Um, unless we have a Travis Brown situation again. Um, Julio Arce is 76. I can see a little bit there. 76 is as much as I want to pay for him. But yeah, value there too. Luke, 77. Uh, no, because he's going to have to chase down Thompson. If Thompson is chinny and Luke can stop him, that's huge. But Luke not a big power puncher either. He's got to win over uh, Tiago Santos once upon a time. But that's that, I don't see it. Ren counter 78. Definitely value. Uh, Tavares 79. He's just such a decision guy that even though 7,900 is a fine price tag, he's not going to get 79 points. And then we're back to Lewis. And then we're good. Yeah. And then then we're good. And that's it. I mean, the thing is, is that the pricing. I guess. So when I was saying the guys who were 93. We're, 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 we were talking about it, but what I was getting at is, is this guy a good play at 93? Is this guy a good play at 92? Is this guy a good play at 88? Right. Yes, yes, yes. No, no, no. How about the value plays? Is this guy a good play at 69? Fuck yeah. Is this guy a good play at 71? I think so. Does this, you know, you just rifle through them. And then we obviously discuss the fights already so we can just get through it. Quick. See, this is, this is how we do, uh, work meetings around here. We just do, do a show, <laughs> figure <laughs> out what out works. I'll think about it for next week and we'll be a little bit tighter. I just think it's a little bit, if you don't like I it, I do find tweet it's, us. Let it's us hard. Know. It's hard. Let us know. People are not going to like it. I can guarantee. We'll see. The people yeah, don't like know. change in general. That's um, true. I find that it's is, hard to like true. to talk about both at the same time. Because sometimes you say, Geez, I love this like, play, but DraftKings, for instance, is like the main event. It's just like mm-hmm. you either like you can't. You're not going to bet both sides, but in DraftKings, it's like. In the main event, you have Diaz and Masvidal. Like, you may want some Masvidal, Nate Diaz, 74. You may like Masvidal, but, but like, Nate, Nate Diaz, Nate is, Diaz the is the better play. value so play on, on DraftKings because of the pricing. And you, you're playing you a might, game rather than picking a winner. You might say, geez, K- Caitlin Chukagian always wins. She's got a slick style. Hey, it ain't pretty. So I finally, In fact, it's not pretty at all, but she wins. You like the money line. However, she's not going to score anything on DraftKings. You don't like it. So as you're debating liking it and not liking it, I get what you're saying. It's a little much. So we'll rifle. I find it's just hard. I just find it's hard to talk about both without sounding like you're just picking both sides. Yeah. And with so many fights happening all the time, it's just like a cluster. But we'll get through it. I feel good about this card. Two more weeks. uh, uh, This one. This is a great card. Super fun top to bottom. Um, And then there's uh, one in Russia. And then there's. If you're going to sell a pay-per-view without that dangling carrot. And maybe this main event may or may not be that, but like stack the card. This is a stack card. I'm cool with this, you know? Yeah. I, I hate those one good fight, the rest of it's dog shit. Like, don't give me that. Give me this. I don't care if there's a massive title fight or whatever case. Just give me a full solid card of good fights. That's what we're getting here. So looking forward. All right. That wraps it up for us this week. Thank you, Cody Savage, for bringing down the fights with me. As always, for Cody, I'm Paul saying goodbye and good luck. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.